Welcome everybody to another episode of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. And uh, since Peter is traveling today, I've got the distinct pleasure of co-hosting with Erica Pasillo. I'm super excited about that. Yeah, I'm excited for the opportunity too. I, I always enjoy having our conversations, but now we get to record them live. And I think especially with the topic that we have today, culture and with Judy Kay, um, you all will get to see how we interact live and communicate within our practice because we do this day in, day out. And then um, also enjoying Judy's company, who I absolutely love and have seen her speak many times. Yeah. So it's really good to have you, Judy Kay. Um, for those of you who don't know, Judy Kay Mozoff and um, Erica and you were hanging at ADOM, right? Yes. And that's how this all came to be. Tell us the story of how this um, this this uh, lovely opportunity was presented to us. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll get started. Please. So I saw Judy for the first time at ADOM while she was speaking in 2016. And when I was there and, um, you know, learned about can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. And learned about what she did. I, you know, she's just so inspiring, so positive. I started following her on, on Facebook, Instagram and so forth. And she is one of the few people out there that put out positivity in this world, you know, like setting the tone for the day. Um, you know, you have your, um, motivational quotes, you call them, um, Ray for the day. Correct. And yeah. And I, I, I love that. I feel like we don't get enough good vibes out there. I think we're just so inundated with what's not going right or the conflict. Yeah, especially in dentistry. Yeah, and everywhere. Oh I mean, God, yeah. you know, so I, so anyways, that's how I started following you. And I've, I've seen many of your, um, the videos that you record that you do online and of webinars and then the in-person events as well. And I was like, she's a must have to have on the podcast, especially when we talk about culture it's a buzzword out there. I think a lot of us know culture, um, but also how we can improve our cultures within our practice, improve our communication with our teams, especially when hiring is so hard. I think right now it we're not in a position to let people go as easily as it may have been in the past because there there aren't more people to choose from. Yeah, and so I think, count. yeah, I think we need to work with with the people that we have. So. Judy, if you'd like to say a little bit about yourself. Yeah, you've been and what a great guest listener thus far um, for Erica's my <laughs> podcast, but we'd love to hear from you as well. I, I love it. Well, Erica, you, so you said some things. I took a couple of notes because um, I want to come back to those. So, um, well, it was a pleasure meeting you as well. And I think, I think our friend Ileana introduced us. And you are just a um, delight and full of energy yourself. So I think it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to be positive and, um, and try to be upbeat, but it, it, it has to be authentic as well. And I think that we have to set ourselves up to succeed. You know, you asked me something before we started, Dr. Spodak, about how are we doing for time? And I said, I'm good. I'm good with you. I make sure that I try to lessen any stress in my life to make it more realistic. So many people, um, don't take that into account and they're spinning all the time. So when you're, you're like this, little things become overwhelming. But when you, when you are calm, those little things are very doable. So happiness and positivity, there's actually strategy behind it. It's, it does, you don't just wake up and go, yay, it's all going to be perfect again today. It doesn't work that way. You know, so I think part of this is helping teams and doctors understand 
how do we deal with what happens and that life doesn't happen to us, but that stuff is going to happen forever. So how do we recoup? How do we reset? How do we, um, how do we create a culture that we actually want to work in where we're excited to come to work and create a safe haven so that, cause we can't control the rest of the world, but we can control what goes on in our practice. Right. I yeah, like- I, I like that. I want to jump in on something, Erica, because Erica and I have been together for most of my professional career. And there was a time when, you know, I was trying to build a business and I was a, the largest practicing dentist of all the of, of our entire group. And when you don't have any time, so when you have two or three patients deep and Cindy, the hygienist, needs something from you and there's an HR issue or a culture, you know, something where the team needs you. There's only so fast you can run and it gets to the point where you're putting yourself, you've built a system that's actually working against you. And I tell people that all the time because what you need to do for those dentists who are aspiring to build a larger practice or maybe want to become entrepreneurial. And again, that's not for everybody, but for me, it's what I wanted. Um, I was building a recipe for failure because I was so busy. Mm -hmm. There was no calm. And I love what you just said because it reminds me of something a mentor of mine says. He says, people seek happiness. But really what we're seeking is peace because mm-hmm. if you have peace, happiness shows up as a byproduct because if you're seeking happiness, there's a duality there. You can't seek happiness. You can only seek peace. And when you have peace, peace from mind, peace from activity, happiness kind of just shows up. And I, I love what how you started with that. It was very, very poignant for me and Erica because I was running around like a maniac and she was trying to scale because I couldn't. So I was doing all the dentistry or a lot of the dentistry. I'm like, at least you get out of the chair and then you start scaling. And invariably I'd have assistants come in and, and these poor, poor girls, I'd be like, leave, get Erica and have to run and get Erica. Cause <laughs> Erica was trying to get more, you know, operational and more C-suite executive level. And I was pulling her back, but I knew at least if I couldn't do it, let her break out. Yeah. I think that you're just talking about also it's, it's an energy and, you know, I think that time is going by so much faster for all of us. I feel like we're just like in this like warp speed of um, information. People want it now. People want it fast, including our team. And especially when you have larger teams, you're stretched super thin. You know, you want to be able to give everybody their piece of time. And it's hard to say no because you don't want to come across as unhelpful, especially as a practice leader or an office manager. So Judy, how what advice would you give for somebody that feels like we're, we're speeding up and it sounds great to slow down, to be able to have that peace, but how do you work it in when, when life is basically choosing the speed for you? Good question. Well, I would um, respectfully disagree that life doesn't choose our speed for us. We still make choices. Okay. So things happen and, and it's, you know, it's like the frog in the boiling water stuff happens. It gets busier and it gets busier. And, and um, I think for a lot of us, when COVID hit, it was a reset. We, we, the rug was pulled out from underneath of us and we had to stop, you know, 2019 was my craziest, busiest year. And um, you, you slowly get into it. You don't even realize you, you, you do this thing and you do this and then you do this. And pretty soon you're spinning so many plates and you don't realize that you're not honoring what you said you wanted to do initially. Right. And not unlike you, Dr. Spodek, the busier you get, the more things that have to be done. Well, somebody's got to do it. And that somebody is you or that somebody is Erica because you're the ones that were capable of doing it. So you just step up more and more and more. It's really, if you get so busy being busy, you can't step back and make wise decisions. 
all you're doing is putting out fires. So you have to look back. You have to realize that right now um, staffing is is a huge issue. I get it. Um, and yet it doesn't have to be. Part of the problem is, is we are trying we are trying to accommodate our patients, which is wonderful. I don't disagree with that. However, we have to be mindful that not to the extent of that we don't accommodate our team as well. Our team is we need each other or we can't do what we do. And so many practices that I work with, I see that you've got your team members who have been loyal, who've stayed there for years and who have just been pushing through this and they, and then they're hiring new people and the new people don't necessarily stay and they're exhausted and they're, and they're, and they're still running at that same speed as if they were full staffed. It's going to be a burnout. We're going to lose our best team members. We have to sit back for a second. It's not just about hiring new team members. It's first of all, how do we make sure we keep the good team members? And I'm going to respectfully disagree again and get rid of the bad team members. Uh, not bad, but the, the, the toxic performers. Let's put it that way. Those team members who are good at what they do, but they are Godzilla to the team. Yeah. Because the minute we, because if we wouldn't allow it, and here's, here's the very simple filter or benchmark. If you wouldn't allow that behavior towards a patient, then we should never allow that behavior towards a team member. Because these are our these are our troops, these are our people, this is our tribe, this is what we need to make things happen. And if we truly commit to taking really good care of our, our team, that means that toxicity isn't allowed between each other. Um, that- yeah. That I yeah, that I agree with. I think more of the the point I was trying to get across is that what's the intermediate point behind before you get to that point where you let someone go? And I think that when we talk about practices or people that aren't great with leadership or aren't great coaches, the first automatic is let me give up on this person before right. giving them the opportunity to rise to the occasion. I think it's especially in those times like you have to be a better leader to have a better team. Yes. And I think that 100%. if you're not willing to go that route, then yeah, the easy route is getting rid of the the toxic person. But maybe the leader is the person that is inspiring the toxicity and that person's responding to it. Um, and so that really is where it's coming from is, is how do we help this seemingly toxic person maybe first? Like what do we do first in okay. order to give this person the yeah, opportunity. We actually have, we have a recipe for failure as, as most of us dentists, um, you know, we're, we're taught extensively how to treat teeth and we go through an exhaustive amount of training. And at least in my, when I went to school a hundred years ago, not one single minute about leadership, culture, or business systems. So right. we're thrust out. We're, you know, the first instinct when you're a dentist and you're put into a brand new clinical situation is like, holy shit, I don't know what I'm doing. I better like <laughs> portray confidence. I better not like let on, you know, you've worked with new dentists before. It's a scary thing. And now you're expected to be this leader business owner. So we're just bullshitting our way through it. We don't know. So we're barking orders. We're telling people we're over systematizing over, over, uh, over protocoling people like this is how you answer the phone this is how you do everything and and what we as dentists need to do is just take a step back like yes you're a dentist you know how to do this stuff but you don't know 
what the challenges are with the admin. You don't know what the challenges of the hygienist are. So it's this first, I always say like in, in leadership, like we point the finger out, but there's always three fingers pointing back at us. And I think what you're getting to, Erica, is like, we need to grow. You, you can't have great people if you don't invest in your own leadership. So I hope there's just an aha for people to say like, because we didn't know what the hell we were doing. We just failed forward and we kept getting better and better. I'm like, I should take this course. You should read this book. And Eric and I were trading back and forth. There's literally thousands and thousands of effort and hours between it. Now it's a symphony. It's magical. But damn, there's a lot of hard work there. And I think it's just this, we need to have a little grace as dentists to say like, hey, I'm excellent at what I know how to do. And I don't know how to do what I don't know how to do. And it's okay. So, you know, when I meet in the mastermind or Bulletproof or whatever, the, you were there in Cabo last week or two weeks ago in Cabo, yes. Mexico. And it's like, what do I need to do? I'm like, well, what, is, what does your team want? Well, I never really asked them. How do I fix these problems? Well, what are the problems? Well, I never asked. So how, what the hell are you talking about? You never asked anybody. And it's just, it's because we have to come up with the answers. Patients are looking at us on day one. What do I do, doc? And we're like, uh, here's exactly what you do. You know, it's just, so it's like this fake it or, you know, and it's really unfortunate because the situation and the institutions and the educational complex of dentistry is broken and not teaching us this stuff. So the average person's listening and it's after burnout and failure. So I think we're, what we're doing here, if we can catch those people before they have to fail so hard, like we did then we have a good thing. Well, and I think there's some simple things too for starting. You know, when it comes to the new team members, um, first of all, is really being clear about what that position looks like when we're hiring and what the expectations are. Some really busy offices downplay the busyness. And I said, don't do that. Let them know if you like a busy environment, this is the place for you. Because if it's somebody that wants to move at the speed of a turtle and only wants to see one person every hour and a half or two, it's not going to fly. It's never going to work. So don't even go down that path. Yeah. Like don't sell it. I, I sell everything, Judy, which is a problem. Like I'll, I'm a good salesperson. <laughs> so Erica will put the brakes on that. Someone will say like, oh, you know, I kind of like a more slow pace. I'm like, yeah, it can be slow here. Erica's like, no, no, no. It's, <laughs> this is a fast paced environment. So don't yeah. sell it. You right. gotta, you gotta and be fully disclosing of what and it then is. you really have to manage the expectations those team members they haven't worked in your practice even if they are trained and they've worked else it's very different from from culture to culture from office to office from expectations and knowing the two of you i know that you um you have high expectations which is a great thing Mm -hmm. And you are the top notch in the industry. And so the expectations are here. And that's a great thing. However, we need to manage that new team member coming in so they're not overwhelmed right away either. Those first month or two or three months, they're just like, wow, there's so much stuff here. And if we can be clear about expectations on a weekly, those first three months with the new team member and the existing team members, because see the existing team members, if, they, if this person's worked anywhere else, um, within two weeks, they think they should have it. They're they're tired of training. They're tired of this. They're tired of that. But if they have clear um, benchmarks, week one, this is the minimal that this person needs to perform at. And I say minimal because we want to know at week one or week two already whether this person has the capabilities to work. Absolutely. You yep. know? And so oftentimes we do those magical 90 days, which I don't know why we invest a full 90 days. If somebody can't move from week one to week two, and by week three, if they can't, still can't do what they were supposed to be able to do in week one, we've got a problem. And instead of investing 90 days or all this time in, 
with having our existing team working and training, we want to make sure that that it's realistic. But it also really adjusts the expectations of the existing team as well. And knowing, look at this person accomplished this and this. Yes, they can help me with this over here, but they're they're on course. They're doing well. Right. And if they learn faster, super. But we we don't want to team members have a tendency to pick the person who learned the fastest at this. And then that's where they compare them. And then there's always this, well, I don't think they're working out or I don't think I should have to do this. And and then we want to pick team members that are actually good trainers as well. Yeah, I, I think if we if we paint with broad brushstrokes, I know we're all got a, we're, our ears down to the ground with when it comes to helping dentists. I think the common ideas I've got the wrong team. I think if you polled the people that are frustrated, you know, an overwhelming majority just believe they have the wrong team. And that's, that's not good either. Well, so, but I'll say that, why is it they believe they have the wrong team? And I think just to Judy's point is they probably didn't have expectations. And I think that we're constantly managing what someone is expecting you to do without them communicating those expectations. They're getting upset and not giving that person the opportunity to actually rise to that occasion. I think that that goes back to like, what is step one before we write off this person? Are we doing a great job as a leader communicating what we need and how to win? And also, what do they want? Like you, you see, like, mm-hmm. hey, you're going to be my office manager. Well, I don't like doing that. <laughs> well, no, you're going to. Well, you've been here the longest. You get to do it, and then yeah. there's no communication. So it's like when we interact with these people, it's almost like an intervention. Like you know, like I thought you liked Italian food. No, I absolutely hate it. But mm-hmm. I take you there for your birthday every single time. So it's a failure on multiple levels. But when you believe you have the wrong team, like mindset is very important in my world. Like if you really believe that, if you believe your entire team is wrong it's really hard to work and take positive steps forward if you have that belief. So you have to get a little curious. I think the first step is like, okay, maybe I didn't do the right job of, of explaining exactly what I want. And then even apologizing, even getting your team together. Hey guys, I never went to leadership school here. Let's have an, a meeting. Like what are the five, you know, even the things we've done, like sending out double blind surveys. What are the five things I should never do again? What are the five things I should always keep doing? And just getting more understanding of, how you are being as an, as a leader in the office and where people need help. And I don't think, I think these are like dysfunctional relationships that just turn into those bad marriages where they're like the dining dead. No one just talks anymore. And then you get some culture expert coming over, not you, Judy, but the others that are in the industry and say, let's have a happy hour. And you just stuff all that crap in the drawer and everybody just gets drunk and somehow they think it's better, but it's not. No, no, and it usually ends up in a bigger battle. You know, and that's that's really what I um, design my culture camps around. It's really about helping people have an open conversation and kind of taking the temperature of where we are right now and where do we want to go? And who's actually still on board with going there? And and doctor, first of all, um, you tell me where it is you want to go. And then I'll help you communicate that for starters, and then get people help align. So Judy, a question for you. Sorry, yeah. let me let me just interrupt you. When you ask the doctor, tell me where it is you want to go, is that usually like when you have people that are like, you know, in meltdown mode, they're calling you and they, they're not, things aren't going well. Is it oftentimes hard for the doctor to explain where he or she wants to go? Is that like a root cause of it? Um, yeah, but yes. I, I I would tell you, though, what I normally do is it depends. And and I get very different um, places of where doctors are at. Some are always wanting to be up here, so they want to keep everything fine-tuned. And some are struggling with the Hail Mary, I think I'm going to lose my whole team. 
you know, so it's a vast difference. So a lot of times what I'll ask them, and that was kind of a, just a short um, surface statement that I made. I will say, what's important to you? If you come in, you open the door in the morning, you come into your practice, how do you want to feel? What's important to you when you come to work? What are some core values that you would use to describe what you want to exist in your culture every day? And let's build around that. Um, and that's a starter, you know, so that helps them um, understand and, and at least have something, some framework to build off of. What okay. percentage is the both? What are the people that are like the high achievers that want to fine tune it versus the Hail Mary? Let me just call, you know, do the culture camp. Like what percentage is it? I between would the say two? I'm probably for the, and I can only speak for myself. Oh, uh, no, just you specifically. The clients that I work with, I would say I'm pretty close to 50 50 or maybe even. Interesting you know, maybe 60, 40. I, you know, I have the privilege of speaking often in different venues. And I think people are excited to hear that. And some are fearful, they don't want to lose what they have. So they want to make sure that they keep it a healthy environment. And I think in some people, you know, have spent, I mean, we all continue to grow and learn, right? And they hear something and they're like, well, we could do this and this, and that would make it even better. Um, and then, and then you have the others that are, and then truthfully, I think, I don't ever hit the bottom. I don't think they ever even realize they're doing anything wrong. <laughs> I, think. Yeah, I would, I would also like to know, yeah, I have a presumption that for the doctors that want to keep things fine tuning, they, they understand what they want to see or what they, what values they possess or where they want to go, what vision they have versus maybe the ones that might not know what their culture is or may not realize that they're getting ready to lose their team. Um, and, do they even know what it is they want? Because back to the conversation about having those clear expectations, if the, the leader doesn't know where the practice is going or what they want, it's really hard for the team to get behind it. And so um, there's got to be a correlation between the two. It's like the less clear you are as a leader and where you want to go, I think the harder it is to build a strong culture because the culture is going to go into so many different avenues. Oh, yeah. You have to you have to have clarity. You have and it and it can't be a million things for everybody. So I actually just start out with four core value words, and I work with them and ask them questions. And sometimes those that are struggling more may struggle a little bit. But some of them are actually very clear about they know what they don't want anymore, right? And that helps to clarify. And and it may not even be the word they're looking for. They can just describe what's happening, what they don't want to see anymore. And you can fill in the blank a lot of times and say, well, so would that mean something like, would this be a good, um, you know, uh, caring or whatever, you know, be um, something that you would strive for then? And that helps them to clarify. And I think that, you know, it, it, it may graduate, it may change over time, but most of them are pretty clear about what they um, absolutely don't want to have anymore. Uh, That's clarity, though, just knowing what you don't like. Yeah. That's, a know, that's a great start. If you don't know what you want, at least being able to define what you don't want. And I do think the dental profession, we're also not doing a good job of understanding that each practice is a snowflake. And there's so many different business models. You have the privilege like we do to go into so many different practices. In fact, 
you know, two weeks ago, we saw five different practices in one day in Houston and each one was like a different industry. hundred percent. So it's like saying like, let's go check out a bunch of restaurants showing up at a Chick-fil-A and a Morton's and a blah, blah, blah. And I think from the inexperienced dentist view, because we all live in our own ecosystems, we think a dental practice is a dental practice. You know, you got a couple chairs and you got these admin people and you got a hygienist. Like what's so different? Why do I need to have a vision? Like, you know, what are you talking about? I, I, and and it's, it's really unfair because every dental practice is so incredibly unique based on the psychology skills of the leader and the team. It's almost like a soup. I, I talked to Erica that every time we bring on a, a different person, our goal is not for them to absorb all of our culture, but for us to absorb them as well. Right. It's kind of like a big soup. You add garlic to it. I want the, the whole thing to be different. And um, if I could, you know, I wrote a vision statement back in 2008 when it was just, you know, maybe two or three employees here and a, a very small disorganized operation with just my mom and my dad. And I wrote a very explicit vision of what I wanted to see it was a descriptive vision, like how people felt, how I felt about how they felt. And it was a really, it was all emotive. It wasn't like I do 9 million a year and 16 operatories and blah, 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 or 18 operatories, whatever. It was like, how did I feel being in here? And right. most importantly, how did other people feel and how did that make me feel? And now when I look around, I'm like, it's exactly what I wanted. Exactly. Like I just, I don't see patients on a daily basis and I probably annoy the shit out of people because I just want to hang out with everybody because I love everyone, <laughs> but it was very intentional. And, and I think that that was hard to do. And it took, a, especially for a person like me, who's probably a little bit ADD to sit down with pen and paper. It was torture. But it was a roadmap that I was able to execute. And had I not done that, I would have woken up at 50 or 51 like I am now really unfulfilled. And, uh, you know, I think it's important for the docs and the team that are listening to this to, to understand you have to sit down and get very intentional. Dentistry is not one size fits all. It's a very unique business. And what patient avatar you're looking for, what type of team. I mean, there's certain people that would work at McDonald's and not work at Chick-fil-A and vice versa. Right. And they're both minimum wage fast food jobs. Right. But it's different. It's a different culture. And that's one of the things I try to show in um, in, in a presentation that I'll ask uh, volunteers from the audience to come up with four core value words and to write them down. And then I'll go around the room and I'll say, OK, so these there's four over here, like one might be friendly and um, excellence and um, caring and high technology. Who knows? You know, and another one's. Um, something uh, legacy and trustworthy and and excellence and something else. And there's like a little nuance. And then you keep going. If you go to about 10 or 12 different people, it very clearly defines that, look, there's a different energy in each of these offices. There's a different um, why behind why the owner doctors are doing this. And that's what we want to tap into. We don't want you to become something that you're not. We want something that's innate that you want to be, that you want to bring out. That is your strength. That is important to you. You know, I, I think back when I started my business, um, I was an administrator for 25 years before I got into this. Administrator and, in what? In dentistry? Dentistry, yeah. Oh, cool. Um, first 10 years, general, final 16, um, or almost uh, was perio. And okay, so like, were you office manager, or like, yeah, tell me what you were office administrator. Okay, so. cool. How many? Tell me what the last job was like. How many doctors? How many team? Four doctors, twenty-eight team members. So. Okay, and you were the 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 chief of the whole thing, like the highest level administrative person. 
Um, my doctors came in, there was an owner doctor and three associates and the owner doctor said, this is yours. I'm going to do dentistry. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good. You know how that goes, right? Yeah, I know, but, I know it well. We both I, know drug, I drug him into the conversation a lot more. We actually co-led a lot. He was very good to work with. Good. Um, and when I, when I decided to start my business, I remember my husband, Steve saying, he goes, Jude, what's important to you? And he said, what's, what do you want to do? And I said, I just want to help people have a better life. And I said, I'm going to use dentistry as the vehicle to do that. And so that's always been the why behind it. And I think when you can help dentists, um, because everything starts with leadership, it's either what they do or what they allow that comes into their culture, because they're the only ones that can change. If they don't want that, you know, if you have a toxic team member, they're the only one who makes that final decision. Yes, your office administrator or whatever, director of ops may, but it still has to be finally approved or agreed upon um, by the owner doctor. So it really is the more we help the doctors understand and are clear. And I'm speaking to, you know, (laughs) the people who know this well. Is that you know once they're clear, it then and then we have to teach them how to communicate that in a way that their team is on board, so that their team knows. Because there's nothing worse than today we're doing this, and then tomorrow we're going to go this way, and then because they don't they don't feel like they understand what the purpose is behind it. Then sure, no consistency. So what I'm what I'm hearing in summation is that really culture, the foundation of building a good culture comes from vision, clarity around what you want to do, where you want to go, and making sure that your team understands that very clearly. And even bringing on new people that may have had one position in a different office, they may have different responsibilities within yours. And so even for an office manager, one practice that you bring into your your new practice, you will set them up for failure if you're not clearly communicating your expectations within yours. And I think that's really important also for our team to have a great experience. I mean, that's kind of one of our whys is like we, we focus so much on providing a great experience for our patients that sometimes we forget about providing a great experience for our team. And that's what this is about. And, you know, we want to come into an environment where we're supported, where we feel like we can win. And when we know how to win, we can make better decisions. And I loved how you said, you know, it's um, it's either defining what you do or what you allow. Yeah. And I liked how you use that word, because I think a lot of times we hear doctors, well, they'll say, you know, I have, I have these team members, but, you know, they always come to me for the decision or they always come to me with all the problems and I have to be the the person behind every single decision we do, even the simple ones. And I think it also comes back around to, well, were you clear in what you, your expectations were? Right. Were you a good leader? Were you a good coach? Um, and I just loved how you how you had that definition between the two. It just really resonated with me. What do you allow? Also with the what you allow conversation too, it's like I could describe this beautiful chocolate cake I wanted to eat and I really didn't understand the recipe. So in life, it's beautiful when you understand your your unique God-given strengths and you partner with people like I have with Erica and numerous others where it's like I, I need her to get this done. I can describe a chocolate cake that she actually likes too but she knows how many eggs and the sugar and blah, blah, blah. And when we say what we allow, we, we lost a lot of time. I mean, I don't ever look at it like we lost time because it's all been fun and learning and getting your ass kicked is part of the process. But allowing people too long, 
So Eric would oftentimes say, this person is going to cost us a lot of money. This person's going to be a problem. Let's like kind of like, let's cut the head off the dragon while it's small. And I would just be, no, 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 we're gonna, no, I'll change this person. I'll blah, blah, blah. Because I am good at that. And, but you, you're you good at changing people when they're open to changing and they want they want what you want. And there was this presumption like, oh, no, they want chocolate cake too. And Eric was like, no, 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 they're going to blow the whole place up. <laughs> and invariably, we they did blow it up and we had to get rid of them. But we could have chopped those, you know, we could have killed the dragon while they're small and you'll meet bad people. And and when I say bad people, they're just not good fit for what you want to create. They're not bad as in good and bad human beings. They're just not right for you. And for me, that for me, I'm a connector. I like to connect with everybody. And we would have been so much further ahead, number one, knowing what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, and explicitly defining that, and knowing what she's great at and what she's not great at, and just really doubling on our strengths and covering each other's weaknesses. And I think that we just assume that everybody's the same and they're not. And um, if you have those bad players, you can't allow them. If it was up to me, all those bad people would probably still be here ruining us. But Erica wouldn't allow it. She, At a certain point, she got to the point where she's like, I've seen this movie before, and we're not going to go through the bad ending. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, then you handle it. And she handles it with grace. And they hug her on the way out, usually, or sometimes they tell her, pick out your shovel because I'm going to bury you, like the one that we had. Yes, but, exactly. but allowing people, the wrong people, you're actually damaging your culture. And I think dentists get in trouble because they conflate the business with themselves. And as a business owner, your business is a little baby and it needs to be taken care of outside of your own personal needs. So for the doctor out there that's making the money that they want, but your team is miserable because you have a toxic person and that toxic person kisses your butt because you're the owner, but then is ruinous to everybody else, you have to do the hard thing to protect your team and they'll value you for that. And you said something, you know, about good at changing, you know, it really depends. Like you said, the, the person has to be open to change. And I, I couldn't help but smile. I think at Adon this last year, they had me speak five different times. So it was like when I said, Kim, make sure use me as much as you want. She definitely did. But at every audience, every audience I had, I would get managers that had been in the industry for many, many years. I am very good. And, and here's like, but Judy Kay. But, but Judy K, you don't get it. But Judy K, and I said, I know there's this one person. And I said, you don't even have to go any further. I said, here, it's really very simple. You create a culture. You make agreements as a team, how we're going to communicate, how we're going to work together. We're all in this together. We're all pieces. You call it soup. I call it pieces of a puzzle, right? We make agreements on how we support each other. We make agreements on how we're going to enter in the morning and, the, and we're going to be mindful of the energy we bring to each other. That's a responsibility of us. It's not my job or the manager's job to make people play well with you. It's your job to be easy to work with. It's your job to make sure you're being respectful of each other, right? You can only control what you do. You worry about what you do. So you start having these conversations and then there's this person who's always skirting the issue, always doing the things. It's a very simple conversation. Look, Susie, you're, you're phenomenal at what you do. However, here are the agreements that we've made as a team. Is this something you're willing to support? We hope you say yes. If not, then we wish you well. Great distinction. Yeah. And especially- not being attached to their personal progress because some people just want to stay stuck and it's just up to you to release that. You know. Well, and they're, and they're not bad people. They have their own agenda. Right. They, they, they've decided. Well, they like vanilla and you like chocolates. No big deal. They're both great mm -hmm. ice creams. 
but they want your practice to be vanilla and right. you want your practice to be chocolate. Yep. Yeah. Very and everybody else wants chocolate. And yeah, it, it's, it is hard though when you, when you look at that, but um, it's uh, the intoxicating thing. I just want to add one thing here to kind of just take it in, in another direction is the, the intoxicating thing is that when you are good at affecting change and you have someone that's not a great player, but over time you grow them into a great player and it's like, damn, I could change everybody. Like we have so many examples of that. Mm-hmm. We have two that are coming to mind and they may listen to this. So I can't think of it right now. I don't want to, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't mention it right now, but we have two people that one was never really happy at work, you know, kind of like FML it's Monday, you know, I hate Mondays. And now I just talked to her and she's like, look, I, I, I would be miserable if I didn't have work and, and purpose. And, and another one had left the office or the organization for four or five years and came back and is actually doing better now. And it, Sorry, I'm like raising the hand here yeah. too, because also throughout this process, I think that when you're saying, you know, other people are growing, which they are, but we grew. Yeah. And right. so I think if we look back at it to say, we're actually better at yeah. providing clarity and direction and expectations, which then allows this person the opportunity to be better. Yeah, and Erica will take the pie in the sky ideas and boil them down. Like, here's the five steps to win. Here's how you can be successful every day. And I'll be, I'm fast paced and low detail. So it's just like, hey, come check, come follow me. It all be, it all be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and 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 that's you know when you when you look at this as far as them learning and changing and and over the years, uh, I've met some people that have really. Um, a light switch has changed, you know, and you said the powerful words at the beginning, um, your mindset. And it's, it's amazing how much power our mind has and people don't realize it often. And when we shift, the only difference between something being stressful or not stressful is our thought process on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and when, you know, it's funny, like if you, if you have a Saturday and you have all the time in the world to do something, you're not stressed about it. But if you're doing it uh, during the middle of the week and you thought it should have been done at nine and it's now 920, you're stressed, right? So it's always that mind shift. And some of these people, all of a sudden, something changed in their life where they decided, you know what? I actually want to be here and I really want to make this work. And then you see this where they're coachable because a lot of people, when they're resistant, they're not coachable. Mm-hmm. They're not open to hearing it. And, and the dub, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I think of one person in particular that <laughs> it, it, it amazes me what I see when I go into work with offices. I walk in in the morning, the first day, and she's at the back door, and I'm walking in with the doctor, and she's literally glaring at me. And <laughs> I'm thinking, well, that's probably not a great way to start out our connection, but she's glaring at me, and the doctor introduces us, and I say, good morning. And she's like, yeah. And she walks away. So later I'm talking to her and she's had those people. extremely <laughs> talented at what she's doing, but she's just, oh, monster. She's toxic. So I pull her aside later in the day and I'm chatting with her and I said, I, I just have one question for you. She goes, oh, here's some rah-rah stuff. And I said, right. oh, no, I, I have no rah-rah for you. <laughs> yeah. I past said, the point I of rah-rah. Why do you want to sabotage your success? I said, what are you afraid of? And she's like, well, what do you mean? And I said, why are you so afraid to be good at what you do? Why are you intentionally sabotaging that? 
And she was really quiet. And I said, you know, take the night, think about it. Um, and I said, if you're going to come back tomorrow with the same attitude, don't even come to the culture camp. I said, it'll be a distraction. Don't waste your time and more importantly, our time. And I said, but if you if you have a, a change at, at heart, I said, we'd love to see you and we'd like to start fresh, line in the sand day. So the next morning she came and she said, you know, and this is the hard part in life. She said, you know, no one's ever told me that I'd ever be worth anything. No yep. one's ever believed that I had the capability. Everybody's always told me I was going to be a failure. So she said, if I, if I sabotage it myself, then I couldn't blame it. I, I couldn't say it was me, really. I could say I, I chose that. So it wouldn't hurt as bad. Yeah, it's funny because, well, that part's not funny, but I hear it so often where you have people that just have low self-worth or they're just looking for that external validation and that when they don't get it through the process, they just end up becoming the very thing that they didn't want to or that other people were right. saying that they were going to be. And it is interesting, you know, we do have the choice to create our own destiny. And some of the advice that I give to my team members is that, you know, you have the decision to take your life into whatever direction that you want it to be. Like, don't let anyone else determine your destiny or what your success looks like, you know, at, at, at any cost. And if you're having trouble knowing what that looks like or how to get there, you've got many resources, right. but ultimately you're the one deciding every single step of the way. And I think that what you've also did with that comment with that team member is that you're, you're turning the, the mirror back on them. And Dr. Craig will say that all the time is that you show them their themselves, have right. them discover that they are at the root cause. Because what we've also seen is that we have other team members or have had team members that have left and to gone, gone to other places that supposedly grass is greener, right? But you can't escape yourself. And so what they realize is that they actually brought the problem with them with them, um, and, and didn't really resolve anything at all. And so I think it's an interesting perspective. It's like, you know, culture starts with knowing where you want to go, communicating that well, and also leading yourself. You have to yeah. lead yourself first. Judy, you did, you did something very subtle, but it's very important for people to unpack. And I want to just, you said something very important. You can't influence somebody when you're when you're also judging them. So when we judge this person, she sucks. She's always showing up in a miserable mood and blah blah blah. You can't. You have no power over them. So you said something is very small, but it was. I'm a word guy. You said tomorrow's a blank slate. Tomorrow's a blank slate. We're starting fresh. Tomorrow's the first day of whatever you want to create. And you, what you did in that moment is like, hey, I'm suspending judgment. I don't know you. I know you snarled at me today and I know you're being a, you know, a wet, a wet mop or whatever with your energy, but tomorrow's a new day. So one of the things that I think has been very powerful for both Eric and I is like when Erica goes in a meeting and she's like, oh, you know, cause we all have these things. We, we, we're all human. We're like, yeah, she's late, blah, blah, blah. And this person's like, and I'm like, listen, if you're going to have any power on this person, suspend your judgment. You have to release what you know about them because it takes two to tango. And this woman who you turned around, all you did was like, hey, I'm new. Tomorrow could be a new day. And each one of us, we're new every day. And we're sometimes monsters on a Wednesday and getting better by Thursday. But it's a human experience to constantly be evolving. But the problem is, is we stack all this crap on ourselves and other people stack it on us. You need, sometimes you need to shift an environment just so you have that opportunity, which you gave yeah, that woman. Fresh. You started her fresh in her own space. 
And I think it's just important, release judgment. If you really want to influence people, you must release it. Eric always says to me, people feel what you believe. So if you're using really nice words, but you're like, this person's such a piece of crap. Oh God, they're so freaking lazy. I bubble up. That's your dialogue about them. You're never going to be able to help them. Oh yeah. Well, you can sense. You feel the it. Energy's there. The yeah, your words there. are good, but your energy is like you suck. You suck, and they hear it. Well, and that's and that's the thing. It's when when we're working with somebody, I think so. Oftentimes, we get to their toxic person before we've even had any conversations. Well, the doctor about- pre-programs you, Judy. Watch out for Becky. She's a monster. Oh yeah. So exactly. that you and then you have to. Okay, well, doc, what makes her a monster? Yeah. And blah blah blah. And why is she still here? And then you get to see that Becky's probably not a monster. It's that Doc has been really harsh on her sometimes. Maybe Becky could be a monster, I'm just saying, but oftentimes it's that they're they've been labeled and judged. A lot of times it's misunderstandings, it's assumptions. And you know, and 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 let's be honest, there's certain people we click with easier than others, you know. There's you know, we have that that's easy- a problem too, by the way, Judy. That's a huge problem. We like to hire people like ourselves. Right. If I hired a bunch of people like me, this organization would be gone quick. You have great ideas, but it would sink with awesome ideas. So it's really important not to hire who you like and who is like you, but who compliments you. Find out where you're weak and hire that person. That's one of the things we do too. And, and um, you know, and I focus on the culture camps because that's my experience. That's what I, that's the capacity of how I work with teams um, instead of like, long-term coaching. And one of the things we do is we talk about um, uh, people have a tendency to really like um, um, personality testing and all of, all of that. And I will say that I, I'm oftentimes not a fan because people will pick up and label themselves. Oh, I'm a D or I'm an I, or I'm this, and this is just how I behave. And they use it as more of a weapon or an excuse. And as I say, labels are an excuse to continue the behavior than they do um, to really make a difference. And so one of the things we talk about is the strengths of this person taken to excess are the things that drive you bonkers, right? You know, and I, I use my husband as an, as an example a lot. He loves it. He's used to it. But he's, he's has all the time in the world for me. He will take time to do whatever, but that means he also runs behind a lot, right? So there's that, there's that ebb and flow. You know, for me, I'm a get it done yesterday. Let's make this happen. But sometimes I'm not going to stop and smell the flowers. And so there's that balance. And when we balance each other out, and that's where I also say to the team, I said, look, this is the perfect person for you right here because they excel at this. And you excel at that. And it's just like those pieces of the puzzles going together where it's it's a perfect fit. So I think, I think the big thing is we don't, I'm sorry, it's just that we don't spend the time talking about and actually having a conversation. Instead, we want to label somebody and say, well, this is what they need versus just ha- saying, Erica, tell me what's important to you. Wh- what can I do to make our relationship better or easier for you to work with me? That would be my That would be my conversation. I love that, especially as like a a first start, you know, this morning I I had a conversation with one of our team members that was having a tough time learning how to, how to mend a a relationship. A doctor, no less, right? Yeah. And, um, and and part of that is, is that sometimes we, we have those expectations and that when we expect people to think like this, like us and act like us, 
that there's an upset when they don't. We have to let that go in order to move forward. And at some point, someone has to, to be the one to take the initiative. Um, but I think that with the, the labels and something that we've done in our, our organization pretty well is that we we don't have labels for specific things. You know, we keep them pretty generic. And even when it comes to, let's say, the label of, of office manager, it isn't the same office to office. And so when you box them in or you have that label, you are setting up that person for failure because it can be different. And, uh, you know, judgments, um, you also have the personality tests like you had mentioned before that, yeah, sometimes people fixate on that label or that word and then they do. They use it to their advantage or disadvantage and it is unfair. I think it's just, it's information, it's context to right. the whole. It's one small piece. Right. If if you can navigate using it as one small small piece of the whole. Right, right. Yeah, and I, and I, I think that that's so key. You know, when I think about the people and their personalities and how, how they're working through it, so many times um, they don't take the time or they don't want to, you know, they just want a quick, let's just, make this quick exchange and move on. Yeah. And, well, and same with you. Like, what are the four steps to creating iconic culture? Oh my God. Like, <laughs> oh, I we thought really we were going to talk about that today. Yeah. Do, we have, do we have to go through the whole culture camp? Come on, <laughs> Judy, you know, it's not that hard. It's just, what are the, is it just cookies? Like I was on an AACD um, podcast the other day and I, I probably won't ever be invited back because <laughs> like, they, they talked to me about leadership. I'm like, Hey, what are the things that you can do to improve culture? Like one of our members said, like, bring a dog to work. I was like, okay, so if you have crappy culture, now you have a dog in your office. Now you have crappy culture plus dog shit. That doesn't help. You know, like it does, it's not cookies and dogs. It's really hard. And fortunately, you know, it, it's hard or else everybody could do it masterfully. Well, but those steps are the frustrating question. The relationships are, are what's challenging, actually, not to bring it back to the conversation we had this morning, but we focus, or especially this person focuses so much on the tactical, well, I said thank you, and I did this, and I did that, and I'm like, okay, but these tactical trans transactional things is what's missing the point, is that you're not connecting as a human being on that emotional level and just getting down to what the, the root cause is. It's like, we just need to know that we're supported, that people care and that we are existing, moving towards a common goal, you know, and, and that's the relationship part is, is the hard part. And, and it's compounded in our practice because in our practice, if you're a doctor, it doesn't entitle you to boss the people around. So you come from other practices and doesn't matter what the doctor says, you go get the masks right now. And in our practice, that doesn't fly. So she's actually a shining, she's sticking out like a sore thumb because she came from other practice. Like, well, I'm the doctor. I'm supposed to tell you what to do. So when the leaders like you and me never demand things from people, it makes her, it, she has to massage her leadership even more. She's in right. the leadership NBA now. And I think it's incumbent upon those associates and doctors that work there. Like you are the highest person up there, but you need to you need to be excellent in your leadership. Your position does not entitle you to be respected. And if you want to hold a gun to people and you are the boss and you want to use the gun on people, you're going to have a very low level of culture. If people are just scared of you and doing it because you hold the gun, that's not real leadership. Yeah. And wait until they take the gun away from you. Right. You yeah. know. And it's so true. So when when I when people start playing games, though, they go, "Well, what about this, Judy K? Can I do this?" I, I just I look at them and I just laugh and I say, 
So would that be a healthy adult relationship? Because this is really about we're working together. There's if there's two of us working together right now, there's three of us. What do we need to make this successful? If you don't want to be a part of helping make it successful, then go somewhere else where you do want to be a part of that. But in the meantime, we have to respect each other and 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 treat each other with kindness um, and help support each other. That's really, you don't have to love me. I don't have to love you. We don't have to agree with everything you do outside of the office, you know? And so many things, you know, doctors are okay, well, should I address this? And I said, well, do you consider that's a healthy adult relationship? <laughs> well, no. And how about throwing instruments? Is that a healthy adult relationship? <laughs> Can well, I do that no. at least, Judy? Don't take that away from me. I love throwing my instruments. <laughs> Well, good definitely more dramatic. One. Yeah, can I spray the water like Jennifer Aniston did in that? What was that movie where she uh, she yeah, was sexually yeah. harassing her Horrible male assistant? Yeah, like she that. sprayed the water on him like, "Oh, look, I got you all wet." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's toxic. So, I mean, we play we play a lot of games, and that's the hard part when it comes to the soft skills, which are really the hard skills to do to um, accomplish. It's we we say, "Well, it wasn't really clear. It wasn't really written down. It wasn't really this." And it really boils down to when when we step across that threshold, we're changing the culture. What we bring in as an individual changes that culture immediately. It's what we do or don't do. It's it's everything about it. It's not you can't enter that. It's you're breathing the same air. You're exhaling in there. It's it's all connected. So I, I think that that you know that's one of the things that I work really hard with the teams is helping them understand their ownership and the doctors helping them understand their ownership in what they do or don't do to help create good relationships. And truthfully, you guys, the most important thing in our life is our relationships. That's where our happiness comes from. Absolutely. Amen. It's you so know? true. I I, uh, I applaud you for what you're doing because um, as an industry, when you look at the at the 30,000 foot view, we're really not doing very well, unfortunately. I find myself on Facebook uh, groups that are 30, 40,000 uh, members and the caustic, toxic comments about these effing hygienists and you know, these office managers and every, and, and there's so much division. We're all on the same team, but yet it's like front versus back and doctor versus hygienist. And it's like, I just want to shake everybody up. So I applaud you for what you're doing because we need like 20 more of you. You know, I mean, the, you're a drop in an ocean of, of broken culture and psychology and it's such a beautiful profession as you know spending you know half your life you know in 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 a dental office yeah. it can be a beautiful thing we get paid to help people and everybody plays a very important role whether you're on the phones at the front or sterilization or the clinicians it's really noble and great that we get paid to help people and yeah. it's broken and it's it's not i mean people at chick-fil-a are probably happier than the average dental person and they're selling a sandwich <laughs> that's arguably very bad for you what we sell is good for people we help people and it's broken so i applaud you for what you're doing and i'm glad that this message is getting out to people i, I hope it spreads for you for for the sake of our profession well, well it, that's all we can do is try to help one step one practice at a time right so so judy i want to be respectful of your time how do we get in touch with judy k of culture camp like what's the can we put a website at the show notes or something like that for you yeah that would be um yeah it's practice solutions inc.net okay um and solutions is plural so and there's just a little box there they can type in ask judy k and it, just fill that out and you know put your name or your question and i'll respond to you 
Okay, sweaty back moment. I'm going to put you on the spot. Is there any chance that you would do something kind for our listeners? Can you do something special for them if they say they came from Bulletproof for you? Sure, sure. So I have three books. If somebody wants a complimentary book, I'll, I'll send them a book. Sweet. That's all I needed. I just want to feel special. You made, <laughs> us all, you made our listeners feel special. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It'll help lessen the boxes I have to move. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. We <laughs> got a book too. It's a win-win. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, Judy, really appreciate it. A uh, special thanks to Erica for making this all happen because she was the one who was like, we got to get her on the podcast. And I appreciate you making this happen. I appreciate you being generous with your time and Thank helping you. lift our profession. It's, it's a noble endeavor. And I appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you thanks, Judy. Much.